large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would compel you to be circumcised. And not only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who receive circumcision do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by this rule, upon the Israel of God. Henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren, amen. Peace be to you, the reader.
the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it looks like summertime has left us this morning. We all woke up this morning and said, oh, the weather's come. Hopefully we'll get some nice warm days here in the near future. But it seems like the sun is hiding a little bit. In today's Gospel, we hear that verse that we all know so well. It's been drilled into all of us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We have that memorized well. And it speaks of God's immense love for the entire world. This is a gospel that we meet at this time of year, every year. It's the gospel that we read before the Feast of the Elevation of the Cross, which is the feast that we will celebrate this coming Saturday. And so we hear once again our Lord's words about God's immense love. Furthermore, if you heard the verse right after that, verse 17 says why He sent His Son. Sure, He sent Him because of His love for us, but what did God want? What was God's motive? In one sense, you could say that all of theology is talking about describing God's motive. Why is God doing what He's doing? And there are many religions in the world that try to describe how, what the God, God or the gods are doing, why they're doing it, what their motive is. And even atheists, oftentimes, their lack of belief in God is because they don't like the motives of the God that they have been presented. And so they rebel from that and say, there is no God, because they don't like that God. So what is God's motive? In verse 17... For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. There's God's motive. His motive is to save the entire world. That is His desire. Now there are other views out there that say God only wants to save part of the world, some of the people. That some other people are kind of collateral damage. They're just there because they're going to die and go to hell. This is not what we believe. This is not what the gospel preaches. God sent His Son to save the entire world. This is His motive. This is His goal. And when we say it's God's motive, what that means also, because God is unchanging, is it means that's the direction of His action at every moment of every day in every single person's life. His movement is always toward the salvation of every human being. God wants to save us, and this is the sunshine of our life. So even if we have the clouds, we still have the sunshine, knowing that God wants to save us. Our journey to salvation is a journey towards fullness. A few weeks ago I talked about scarcity, which is that idea that, that God has, is limited, that God doesn't have enough resources, and so when other people get something, that means I don't get. Rather, we know God to be a God of fullness. And it's fitting that we talk about fullness today, because in the hymns this morning and last night, the hymns about this great feast today, which is the nativity of the Theotokos, there's much about fullness. 
The Panagia was born to aged and barren parents. She became, in the words of the hymns, the sprout from the righteous Joachim and Anna. And in another hymn it says, Today the barren gates are opened, and the virgin, the gate of God, comes forth. Today grace begins to bear fruit, showing forth to the world the mother of God. From a fruitless root, God raised for us a life-bearing plant, his mother. This image of barrenness turning to fruitfulness, of deadness to life, is central to this very feast. The Panagia is the dichotomy in the extreme. Her parents were fruitless, were barren. Their entire family line was dying out. And then what did God do? He made it so that now that entire line has become the source of our salvation. The joy that is celebrated today on this feast is that of barrenness turning to fruitfulness. And almost in every service at the end we commemorate Joachim and Anna, the grandparents of our Lord. This transformation from barrenness to fruitfulness is not just about the Panagia and her parents. Another hymn in the service last night said, Today is the proclamation of universal joy. The barrenness of humans is pardoned. Now wait a second, we were talking about the barrenness of Joachim and Anna. Now we're talking about the barrenness of all of humanity. You and me and everyone else. That's what is pardoned. Before Christ's saving work on earth, we were all barren spiritually. Indeed, we were all born with the spiritual barrenness, being the children of Adam and Eve. We are the ones who prefer sin, which is death and corruption. We prefer death. We prefer death in how we act towards each other and how we put ourselves first. Always we're preferring sin and death rather than life and fullness. But despite this, God is working towards our salvation, bringing fullness to our emptiness. In the Akathist hymn of thanksgiving, the author describes how God's, God works unwaveringly toward our own restoration and healing. The hymn says, You can set aright those whose conscience has become decayed. You restore the soul to its former beauty and those who have lost it beyond hope. With you there is nothing that cannot be put aright. You are all love. You are the creator and the restorer. God is our restorer. He is the one that is making that dead branch into a branch that grows. Just like Aaron's rod that budded forth, which is a type of the Panagia. Each of us are a barren rod that God is trying to bring forth into life. And His continuous action extends even beyond the human race. If we have the eyes to see, we can see that all of creation is marked by God's sustaining grace. Again, in that Akathist of Thanksgiving, it says, Every flower is fragrant through the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives life, spreads forth the meadows like a flowering carpet, crowns the field with golden ears of wheat. His grace sustains all. It brings each plant, each tree to fruitfulness. 
When we see the world in this way, everything becomes thanksgiving. We say, thank you, God, for ripening the apple. Thank you, God, for causing the rose to bloom. God is at work continuously for our salvation. This is His one and only motive. Our salvation. So it's pretty straightforward then. God is not desiring our condemnation. He's desiring our salvation. What do we need to do to bring that about? Because we have part in that. What can we do to bring that fullness into our lives even more? How can we become recipients of His grace? Well, that recipe is quite simple. It's go out in the sun. The sun is always there shining. God's grace is always shining upon us. But instead we hide ourselves in the darkness of sin. So coming into the light means simply following God's commandments, taking part in the life of the church. There's a story that Father Thomas Hopka used to say about his grandmother. His grandmother's simple but astute theological advice was this. She said, go to church, say your prayers, remember God. That's it. Go to church, say your prayers, remember God. Of course, there's much more in that. It's simple and yet so hard. And it doesn't mean robotically or out of obligation, but it means that we are striving to really go to church. Not just to be there, but to be present in church. It means that when we are saying our prayers, we're actually saying our prayers, as opposed to words coming out of our mouth and different words that are going on in our head. So it's a simple recipe, but it's actually quite difficult. But it is that simple. Keep trying. Keep working. Keep at it. Because really, 90% of it is just showing up. The fact that you're here in church, thanks be to God. The fact that you had another day in which you prayed and remembered God, thanks be to God. These are the things that are bringing about our transformation from barrenness into fullness. And we must remember, even if we're not, we don't feel like we're receiving His grace, we are. Every time that we show up, every time that we pray, every time that we remember God, we are receiving His grace. Because ultimately God desires your salvation. That is His only motive. Our salvation. And he's working towards that goal at every moment. And He can turn spiritual barrenness into fruitfulness. So our simple work is this, in the words of Father Thomas's grandmother. Go to church, say your prayers, remember God. And in this way, we too will become fruitful vines, just like the Panagia. Amen.